Well, hello there, everyone. Welcome to my Two Cents Podcast Backlash uh, Review. This is the episode where I will be giving you my review of WWE's pay-per-view backlash that just happened last night. Um, It was a good show. I believe that WWE going to Puerto Rico um, was a good thing for not only the Puerto Rican uh, market, but also good for the WWE because it further let everyone... Let everyone around the world know that, hey, WWE is able to go to a different market somewhere that they're not usually able to go to, at least for primetime television-style events. So with Puerto Rico having backlash here after they already had SmackDown the previous night before, and both nights were extremely electric. You could feel it as a participant just being at home watching it on whatever device you were watching it on. You could tell that on both nights, SmackDown and this pay-per-view here, Backlash, that the Puerto Rican fans were giving their all to WWE, and in return, WWE gave their all back to the fans here, and it was such a good um, outing here, to be honest with you. And with that, I'll get more into details, because in each match, the fans were just giving their energy to each match it never seemed like it let up at all throughout the whole night but without further ado let's just start off with the first match that happened on backlash it'll be for the raw women's championship the champion bianca belair going against challenger eo sky bianca would win the match by pinfall thanks in part to bailey when bailey would come down to the ring with dakota kai um you knew shenanigans was going to happen and it all came down to when Bailey was encouraging EO because EO was down on the mat and she grabbed EO's hand and you saw Bailey just giving EO some words of comfort. You would see Bianca grab Bailey, throw her into the ring. The referee would get Bailey out of the ring. And during this, you would see Bianca go over to EO who's down on the ground. EO would grab Bianca by the neck and just drape her onto the second rope. And this would allow Dakota Kai to kick Bianca in the head. Bianca would then drop to the mat and then get in position for Io to hit her with a moonsault. But when she does this, you will see Bailey go over, grab Bianca's braid, and try to hold Bianca in position so Io can hit the moonsault as she's on the top rope. So the referee would see Bailey do this. The referee would reprimand Bailey for holding Bianca's braid. And as the referee reprimands Bailey, Io would be on the top rope seeing this and just for that small little hesitation this would cost eo the entire match because when bailey will let go eo will go for the moonsault bianca would roll out of the way so eo's body would hit the mat bianca would then get up grab eo hit her with the kod and win the match that way so bianca belair is still your raw women's champion she is the longest reigning women's champion in wwe history well the modern history era and it just further alongs uh, Bianca's legacy. But now you can tell there's going to be some type of situations with damage control here. Because without Bailey coming down here, you could feel that Io was going to win the match. Because throughout this whole matchup here, Io was basically beating up on Bianca in a way that Bianca hasn't been beaten up on in a long time. Usually in Bianca Belair matches or championship matches, um, Bianca's usually always on the offense. Yes, she'll be slipping from time to time, but majority of the time, I'll give it about a good 
70, 30, or 60, 40, Bianca Belair usually is dominating her championship matches here. But with EO Sky here, it was a completely different situation. EO was literally dominating majority of this matchup here with her uh, high-flying ability, with her quickness, and with targeting Bianca's arm majority throughout the whole matchup here. Also, with the Puerto Rican fans being behind EO Sky throughout a good, solid portion of the match here. Because the fans at the beginning of the match, you could tell it was a split, like a good 60-40 leaning towards EO with some fans with Bianca. But as the match was going, you just knew that the fans were turning more and more going, leaning towards EO. So it was about a good 100% of the fans were about on EO Sky side. And again, for Bianca as champion, that's not something that we're used to uh, seeing or hearing is usually, again, either 50-50 or still 60-40 from time to time, even towards the crowd leaning towards the challenger. But you don't really hear that much booing for Bianca Belair, usually whenever she's on television or even on a pay-per-view. This is like the pay-per-view, I would say, that the fans literally turned on Bianca and they were really cheering and leaning towards Io here. Somebody made the perfect analogy for this if you watch wrestlemania 18 going into that pay-per-view there was one match the iconic icon versus icon rock versus hogan going into that match rock was the good guy but hulk hogan was the bad guy but when they got to that match at wrestlemania 18 the fans were cheering for hulk hogan and rock was the bad guy in in that match uh there's a story about how rock and hogan they had to play towards the fans and during that match, Rock was playing up as the bad guy, and Hulk Hogan had to play up as the good guy in that matchup here. But in this match with uh, Bianca and Io, that didn't happen. Bianca still played the good guy role, and Io still played as the villain. But in the end, Bailey would still technically cost Io the matchup here. And Io was putting a beating on Bianca Belair. This match was the perfect match to open up for Backlash. The fans were into it. The women were giving the fans back all the energy that the fans were giving them. I mean, this match right here was a complete solid way to open up this pay-per-view. Now, the next match to follow this up was Seth Rollins going against Omos with MVP in his corner. Seth would win the match by pinfall by hitting three curb stomps, two regular curb stomps. Seth thought that he could get the job done by that. Seth would uh, pin Omos. Omos would kick out of it. Then you see Seth have to go to the top rope and hit a super curb stomp from the top rope to cover Omos to win said matchup here. Now, this match was all about highlighting Omos because Omos is a giant. We haven't had too many big giants in WWE or in wrestling in general be presented as a menacing force. And I think this match up here uh, proved that Omos is a menacing force and he should not be just used as a throwaway type of big man here. This match helped Omos out in the long run because even though he did lose to Seth Rollins, Seth Rollins and Omos put in that work to allow everyone to see that Omos is a giant. He should be taken serious. He can still decimate you and beat you up. And in this match, it showed you it with Seth Rollins having to use everything to try to chop down Omos, kicking him in the legs, put him in sleeper holes multiple times to try to take the oxygen away from Omos's uh, body to see that he can get him into a curb stomp. Now, there will be a moment in the matchup here where Seth tried to get Omos into the curb stomp earlier, and Omos would block uh, Seth's stomp by basically just holding onto his own neck 
basically put a lot of power into the neck when Seth's foot landed on his head. You would usually have the head bounce off the mat. The head didn't bounce off or he didn't even come close to the mat. Like, Omos's neck was so strong that Seth just completely stopped in his track as soon as the curve was happening. So, Omos, again, strong, big man. I like that they did that for Omos here. And also, this match proved how over Seth Rollins was because before the match up even began, Seth would come out, do his entrance. Omos is already in the ring. Um, Seth would be in the middle of the ring. He would pose there. WWE production would cut Seth Rollins' music immediately as soon as Seth would hit the pose. You would hear the fans serenade Seth in the ring. Omos would literally kick Seth in the back, and he would just beat up on Seth before the matchup even began. So this moment right here allowed everyone at home to know that, yo, Seth Rollins is that next guy. He is the guy to basically hold the World Heavyweight Championship next because the World Heavyweight Championship is on Raw, and Seth is on Raw. He's not on SmackDown. Uh, Seth is more likely the next guy to hold said championship. So Seth could have lost here to Omos, and I think everybody would have been okay with it because Seth is mega over. We all know he's going to be the next World Champion. If not, he's going to be a contender for the World Heavyweight Championship. So with them still having Seth beating Omos, it didn't really need to happen, but you get the drift of why they do it, because they want to keep Seth on a roll here, but Omos losing in the fashion that he did lose to Seth, it didn't hurt Omos neither, it just, if anything, it uh, boosted up Omos's stock to, again, make Omos look strong as a credible giant, but in the end, Seth Rollins wins the match. Now, after this, we have the triple threat match for the United States Championship, we have the champion Austin Theory going against Bobby Lashley, going against Bronson Reed. Austin Theory would win the match to retain his championship by pinfall. When Bronson Reed would look to hit Theory with the moonsault, but Theory would move out of the way. This would allow Bobby Lashley to hit Bronson Reed with a spear. Theory would throw Bobby out of the ring, cover Bronson Reed to win the match to retain the United States Championship here. Now, I thought this match was going to be the dark horse matchup of the night, saying that this probably has the opportunity to basically... um be the match of the night that nobody expected it to. I was wrong. This match was good, but it did not uh, reach those expectations the way I thought it was going to. But let's not get it twisted. You have three guys in here that still moved around, did what they were supposed to do. Bronson Reed, I think this match really highlighted him because Bronson Reed, he hit a springboard move from the second rope outside of the ring onto, I believe it was, Bobby Lashley. It was a springboard move. He jumped off the second rope and hit some type of springboard move onto Bobby, and everybody was shocked by this. I was shocked by this. So, if anything, again, this match was to highlight Bronson Reed. Bobby, we already know what he's up to. More than likely, he's going to be going after uh, Roman Reigns for the Undisputed Universal Championship somewhere down the line in this year before this year is over with. Austin Theory, he's still the United States Champion. Um, he's probably going to be defending that title against who on SmackDown? I have no idea. Grayson Waller, he did put up a uh, photo on Twitter of him with the Photoshop version of the United States Championship holding it up. So we could see Grayson Waller going against Austin Theory for the United States Championship. I wouldn't be mad at that. But with Bronson Reed being here and having the chance and opportunity to showcase himself against Theory and Bobby Lashley in this match here, again, solid match. This match was basically used to showcase and highlight what Bronson Reed's up to because Bronson's going to be a Raw. And also, it made me think, we can get Bronson Reed going against Gunther. 
And that's going to be one great of a match because they have already wrestled before on PWG in the Indies. I've seen highlights of it, and it was a straight solid match, and that was a couple years ago. So imagine years ago, Gunther, who was bigger, and Bronson Reed, who was bigger, then compared to Bronson Reed and Gunther of now. So I would like to see those two like get into some type of uh, fight somewhere before this year's over with Gunther versus uh, Bronson Reed. I'm hoping that WWE takes care of that, but time will tell. But solid triple threat matchup here. Austin Theory would uh, retain the United States Championship. Now moving over to the next matchup here for the SmackDown Women's Championship is a champion Rhea Ripley going against the challenger Selena Vega. Selena Vega had the whole entire arena rocking with her. Yes, you had people chanting for mommy, but Selena was the representative for the Puerto Rican uh, community here. She came out with a big Puerto Rican flag, bedazzled out. I mean, just completely like encrusted out. Her gear was nothing but the Puerto Rican flag on her gear, just all out. She really represented the Puerto Rican uh, community here. Rhea Ripley, she came out with clean white gear. And again, for people that don't know, I usually don't wear white ever in my personal life. I don't like wearing it because white can get so messy. But when I see wrestlers wear white in the ring, it's so clean looking because you know what it takes to wear white on everyday occasion. But for them to go in the ring and it just looks clean the way it looks, there's nothing that beats it. Not even black. And I like black a lot. White gear. It's just special when you see it. Um, Rhea will be out here in the white gear. Selena will be out here in the Puerto Rican gear. The Puerto Rican fans will be cheering for uh, Selena here. You have a moment where Selena would um, go out to her family, who's literally in the crowd, in the front row, and Selena would grab her sandal or the chancla from her mother and throw it at Rhea. They got a big pop from the crowd here because that's a part of their... Uh, community the chocolate deal and it was just a real feel-good moment even during the ring announcers uh ring announcing of the match where you get the ring announcer saying Rhea Ripley and Selena when it was time for Selena the whole crowd just really just cheered for her and you could tell in Selena's face that she was so emotional because she gets to wrestle in front of her people and represent them, and she always wanted this moment, so she's finally getting this moment. The commentary team really hyped it up to allow people to understand why Selena is so emotional during this matchup here. It was great, but in the end, Rhea Ripley would retain her championship by kicking Selena in the head after Selena was running off the ropes, and Rhea would hit the riptide for the win. Um, After the match, Rhea would leave the ring and go to the back, And this would be the time that WWE gave Selena Vega her moment in the sun, even though she didn't win. This was still her moment in the sun because she got up. The Puerto Rican fans were cheering for Selena. They were clapping for Selena. They were giving her just her adulation because, again, Selena, she's gotten her moment. She got to be here. She got to go through so much adversity just to get here and have this moment. And the Puerto Rican fans, they respect her and they uh, acknowledged her for that. Also, just me being a nerd here, on commentary, they mentioned uh, Selena's cousin or uncle, one of the two, I want to say cousin, Amazing Red, and Amazing Red, for people that don't know, he is a guy that helped pioneer the Ultimate X, not Ultimate X, God, the X Division in uh, 
Impact Wrestling or TNA in the early 2000s. So if you don't know who he is, I'd rather you guys go do your research, check him out. Because again, that guy was good and he still wrestles now over in New York promotion, House of Glory, who's run by rapper Westside Gun. But again, great wrestler. And it was just good to hear uh, WWE acknowledge another wrestler that's not signed with the company, uh, Amazing Red. So, again, that was me being all my nerd stuff. Now, off to the next match, which I feel should have been the main event, and a lot of people felt it should have been the main event of the night. Uh, San Juan Street Fight. Bad Bunny going against Damian Priest. Damian Priest came out in white gear, just like his fellow uh, Judgment Day member, Rhea Ripley. Bad Bunny, he would come out, he would get the biggest pop of the night because, again, they're in Puerto Rico. Bad Bunny is a guy who lives in Puerto Rico. This is his people. I mean, he, the people just ate up Bad Bunny. I mean, his music hits, the people popped. He comes out, people popping more. They start singing his song. He goes to grab a cart. A shopping cart that has all the weapons and he brings it down to the ring. The people are still eating it up. He gets in the ring. He has a little showdown with Damian Priest. The people are still eating it up. People in that arena were eating this whole thing up. Bad Bunny and Damian Priest, they did their job in this matchup here. We did not get no blood. Except for like one time, I believe uh, Damian Priest was, like nose bled a little bit. But I don't consider that like bleeding. But that's the only blood that we did get in this matchup here. But... Uh, Priest and Bad Bunny, they use everything. They use kendo sticks, they use trash cans, they use trash can lids, they use chains, they use steel chairs. Uh, we would have interference from the Judgment Day, Finn Balor and Dominic Mysterio coming down to help out Damian Priest beat up on Bad Bunny. Then you would have Rey Mysterio run down to make the save, but again, still too much. Uh, Judgment Day's beating up on Rey. Bad Bunny's still down. Then we have the surprise of Carlito coming down to the ring. He did not uh, have his brother Primo or his cousin Epico or even his father Carlos Colon. It was just Carlito here. Carlito would hit the nostalgia act move. He would hit Finn Balor with the um, backstabber. He would get the apple out of his pocket, chew on it a little bit, take a bite out of it, chew on it. Uh, Ray will hit Dominic with a 619. You see Carlito spit the apple into Dominic's face. You will see Finn and uh, Dom make the retreat up the ramp. They'll get stopped by Savio Vega, another Puerto Rican legend wrestler and also a former WWE wrestler back in the 90s. So, again, another pop for that. And he would like send out the rest of the LWO to come out here. So it was basically Finn and Dominic having to fight off the LWO as Bad Bunny and Damian Priest took their time to recollect themselves as they're in the ring. So that was a fun intermission uh, spot in the street fight. But in the end, uh, Bad Bunny would win the match by pinfall by hitting the Bunny Destroyer, formerly known as the Canadian Destroyer, onto Damian Priest, covering him to win the match. Again, solid, fun match up here. This match right here should have been the main event of the night. You had Bad Bunny going through a table... Then you have Bad Bunny working over the leg of Damian Priest after Priest kicked the ring post. And Priest was just hobbling around the ring area. Bad Bunny would just attack the leg. Uh, just be mercilessly attacking Priest's leg to the point that Priest would beg for mercy and try to apologize to Bad Bunny. Bad Bunny takes the bait and Priest kicks him in the face and he calls him a stupid SOB. 
I mean, this match right here was literally nothing but fun, and it should have been the main event. I'm not going to even try to hold anybody to that. I'm being serious. If you look at this card here, and you watch it, and I do mean for everybody to watch it, because again, this pay-per-view was a good show, you would say, why didn't they not put Bad Bunny and Damian Priest in the main event? Because these next two matches, they had a time to follow after that, but they still were able to, but just for the feel-good moment for the Puerto Rican fans, to have Bad Bunny and Damian Priest be in the main event, it just would have been special for them. And also, after this match up here, in the aftermath, the LWO, Sabio Vega, and Carlito would come down to the ring and embrace with Bad Bunny. So, that could have been your final image of Backlash, but we didn't get that here. That was apparently not a part of the cards, because we still had two matches to go. Now, the next match up here will be the six-man tag. Matt Riddle, Kevin Owens, and Sami Zayn going against the Bloodlines, the Uso, and Solo Sokoa, where the big story for this matchup was, can... The Usos and Solo kind of mend together because the big story was, is Solo going to turn on the Usos because he has a job to do? We just don't know if his job is to help the Usos win this six-man tag or is he to uh, destroy the Usos? And that would kind of be the story of this and Jay Uso would be the guy that constantly try to make sure that Solo is working together as a team here. Jimmy's the peacemaker, but Jay's like the real like instigator, like constantly like poking at Solo and not really trusting Solo. To a point, there will be a time in this matchup here where Solo would Samoan spike uh was it Matt Riddle or Sammy? One of the two. And he just on a rampage and Jay just happens to back up into Solo and Solo quickly turns Jay around and he grabs him by the throat and he just almost Samoan spikes him and Jay has a look at Solo like, hold up, I'm your brother. What are you doing? You're going to do it? Don't do that. What are you doing? And then you see, like, Jimmy has to come in and kind of, like, keep this, tame this down. So, again, this is the big story here of nothing but the bloodline and chaos is going around in the bloodline. But in the end, the bloodline would win the match by pinfall. When Riddle would hit Jay Uso with a knee strike to the face, Jay would bounce off the ropes. Solo would tag himself in without Riddle knowing. Riddle would hit bro Derek on Jay and go for the pin, but the referee wouldn't make the count and tell Riddle that Jay isn't the legal man. Solo would run in, grab Riddle, hit him with a Samoan spike, then cover him for the win. So the Usos and Solo are the winners. We still have this uh, situation that we're in with, okay, is Solo going to turn and strike on his brothers or not because after the match again jimmy he's happy that their team won he's still being a peacemaker the guy to try to cool everything down because he feels the tensions between solo and jay jay is still trying to side eye solo solo still got his own little dealings in his head that he's got to deal with because we don't know was he supposed to attack the usos and take him out or was he was supposed to just help him out here we still don't know what his main objective was from the tribal chief roman reigns we still have no idea but we do know that the bloodline is still intact as of right now and uh that's just where we're at here with this but now that we all know the bloodline's on smackdown now you gotta just tune into smackdown to see what's gonna happen especially with roman reigns coming to smackdown this friday night so we gotta wait and see what's gonna happen now off to the wwe's main event uh cody rose going against Brock Lesnar. Cody would win this match by pinfall 
when Cody would be locked into the Kimura lock and Brock's bleeding at this point because there was an exposed turnbuckle. Brock would run into it. Uh, Brock would bleed increasingly so much that his whole face is covered in blood here. So I like that. Even though we didn't get a lot of blood in the street fight, we did still end up with somebody bleeding, especially since we're in Puerto Rico. Again, Puerto Rico has the history of brawls and being a bloody like type of uh, place for wrestling. So I at least like the WWE still did carry on with that style of tradition for this right here. But in the end, again, Brock has Cody in the Cremora lock. It seems that Cody's going to tap out. Cody would thrust his body and use leverage to get on top of Brock to put Brock's shoulders to the mat. And the referee would make the count. One, two, three. Cody wins the match up here and he rolls out of the ring and he escapes with the win over Brock Lesnar. Now, before the matchup did begin, Brock would be attacked by Cody outside of the ring. Cody would hit Brock multiple times with the steel steps. He would hit him in the back multiple times with steel chair. But the thing is, Cody was never disqualified because the referee did not ring the bell because this happened before the match was officially began. But as soon as Brock got in the ring, Cody would still have the uh, chair in his hand. The referee would take the chair away from Cody and the referee would ring the bell. So that's the reason how Cody was able to get the drop and in a way still beat Brock Lesnar, even though Brock wasn't at 100% because Cody attacked him before the match began. Um, solid match up here, but I just don't think this was the main event. I don't, I don't feel that way. I don't feel that this should have been the main event. They should have swapped this. They should have had Cody and Brock come on before the six-man tag and have Bad Bunny and Davey Priest be the main event, as I said before, and I stand on that wholeheartedly. Um, them ending the pay-per-view with Cody just sneaking a win off of Brock Lesnar, it just didn't, uh, feel like the right way to end such a hot and heavy style of pay-per-view, the way that the Puerto Rican crowd was giving everything they can to everybody in this uh, pay-per-view here. It just felt like it fell flat. But it was WWE's choice here. Hopefully, they make a better choice next time because I swear, they should go back to Puerto Rico more. Well, I'm not going to say more more, but because they now kill the luster, but they should go back to Puerto Rico and... Uh, give these fans something because these guys carry that pay-per-view and they gave the wrestlers a lot to work with and the wrestlers worked with everything and they gave that energy right back to the fans for everything. So I, me as a fan, I enjoyed seeing this and I enjoyed whenever you hear the referees go for the one, two, three, the fans, they participated counting in uno, dos, tres, just those little small details makes a pay-per-view go from one notch and just kicks it up to another because of the fan interactions. That's the one thing that whenever WWE used to go over there to England and they would showcase it, especially in the NXT era. And the NXT guys, they would get those special introductions when they would get those championship introductions. And they always say one fall. The crowd will follow it up with one fall. Those type of things just adds and builds for the fans in those specific areas and is designated specifically for them. Yes, the one fall they carry over to America and it did uh, build for the NXT brand, but just those moments that the fans are able to give their energy to the wrestlers and help, uh, help this moment and make it bigger than what it is right now 
that's all wrestling's about. It's about the moments. It's about making something bigger. It's about uh, making the fans feel good and make the wrestlers feel good about the product that they're delivering. This pay-per-view was all of that. I suggest everybody go watch it and uh, just have a blast, to be honest with you. Again, my matches of the night goes as the street fight and the Raw Women's Championship. And just for that feel-good moment, uh, the SmackDown Women's Championship, those are my matches of the night. I thoroughly enjoyed Backlash. Now, where did this leave us here? We got Raw coming up. Um, we're going to get the two triple threat matches. The winners of those two triple threats face off in the main event to see who's going off to Night of Champions for the World Heavyweight Championship. We all know it's going to be Seth Rollins because if they don't do Seth, I don't know what they're doing personally. Because again, Seth is hot ass fish grease over there on Raw. I don't think they're going to put Cody in that situation. If they do, I will be extremely shocked, to be honest with you, because it feels that Cody wants Roman. He doesn't just want that World Heavyweight Championship. Seth Rollins has already made it his destination to become the World Heavyweight Champion. That is Seth's primary bread and butter goal. That's just what it is. Since he doesn't want to get to Roman and he feels that Roman doesn't want to get to him, Seth says, screw it. I'm going after that World Heavyweight Championship. And that's where I want my name to be staked and my lineage right there. Cody, he already says that he wants to finish the story. And it seems that that story is Roman Reigns. So for me, I feel that Cody should not be going after that World Heavyweight Championship. I think that he should be trying to figure out a way how he can get back at Roman and try to grab those uh, undisputed Universal Heavyweight Championship. We'll just have to wait and see with that. But yeah, we got Raw coming up. I feel that Seth's going to be in the World Heavyweight Championship picture over there on Raw. For SmackDown, I have no idea. That's the real question mark for me because SmackDown is supposed to have the Universal Championship. So why are they in there? Why are they in this uh, World Heavyweight Tournament? I have no idea. I'll just wait and see, just like everybody else. But yeah, that's just where we're at here. Now, with that all being said, this was my review of WWE's Backlash uh, pay-per-view. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I hope you guys enjoyed this uh, review. And also, I have a Sunday episode out right now. It's called Condemned. If you haven't listened to it, go check it out. Um, I also have a midweek breakdown episode up. If you haven't listened to that, go listen to that. And if you just want to hear me, just make out the predictions and give Bullet Club. By the way, Bullet Club, they had a 10-year anniversary this year. If you want to just hear me give my retrospect on Bullet Club being literally the greatest uh, faction stable of all times, whether in WWE or just wrestling as a whole, I say Bullet Club is literally number one, and you want to hear my reasons why. Go listen to the Wrestling Highlights of the Week episode, and you can just listen to me talk about that there. Now, with that being said, and all the stuff promotion out of the way, I love you guys. I hope you guys have a great day. I hope you guys be safe. And I'm just going to let Bad Bunny's music just take us out. Y se extinguieron como los dinosaurios. Antes que me apague, se apaga el sol. Subí.